Welcome back. This is Heavy Typing. I'm Frank Hagen. I want to thank everyone who's been enjoying and supporting the podcast so far. I'm really grateful to you. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email to info at heavytyping.com. And if you're so inclined, consider leaving a positive review in the directory where you listen to this podcast. It helps other people find us, which would be wonderful. Today, we'll hear chapter two from my novel, Marked for Harm. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode first. But if you're ready, let's get into it. Chapter two, Panem at Coffee. I navigated the streets in a habitually indirect route, soaking in the morning and wasting time. It may be typically hopeless to compare the days, but at its start, this one certainly felt as shitty as any other. A personal critique. The weather itself was fine, and the world was as beautiful as it always is. I had the office attached to my apartment, as I have mentioned before, and I love to exaggerate like everyone else, but the reality of the situation was mundanely sad. I could never afford a permanent office space. There's always been work when I want to work, and the money comes, but it mostly goes. I've always been a sucker for a good cause, and there have been many good causes in need of funding. Good cause, good time. Floating as I am now in this bath of pathos, it's with painful clarity that my sloven so-called needs come into focus. It is true that there was some good that came from it, but mostly we were all being selfish. I shouldn't render judgment for others. For my own biological avarice, I confess. The truth is, getting back to my work, I've never had an assistant to take calls, make coffee, open or lock up. I've never had a walk-in customer and I've very rarely received clients for in-person consultation. I've enjoyed maximizing opportunities by meeting clients in bars or restaurants so that I could at least get a meal out of it. Occasionally, I have used my small office to write reports at the completion of an assignment, to prepare for rare court appearances or to reconstruct my finances at tax time. But it's easy to get quickly distracted trying to work in a quiet little space. And like most of my life, this was just another room whose primary function has been the setting for recreation. I hadn't been doing much work at all by this time, regardless. I had accepted a reasonable amount of work and taken deposits, but the mood for accomplishment always seemed out of reach. Of course, procrastination as a magical way of building to the point of no return, crashing down like a tsunami. Even so, some jobs are more interesting than others, and I could find enough motivation to at least get started. Sometimes I would do just enough to ask for more money. This job, however, was of a totally different order altogether, my client being a criminal by profession. On that particular day, I was meeting an associate well-known to me at a bar-slash-dive restaurant called Kundu's. 
It's actually a pretty nice place run by an army veteran whose legs were blown off in Afghanistan. Why he would choose to memorialize his trauma with such a name is something I could only speculate upon. The defining point of his life, I suppose. In any event, I was looking forward to a cheeseburger, but trying not to be too hopeful, as these things often didn't pan out. As I'd previously mentioned, I spent that morning walking a familiar, circuitous route through the city, stopping to look in store windows and to read the signs and advertisements people had tacked on poles or taped on old storefronts. I people watched in St. George's Park as I passed through. My stomach had finally stopped gurgling out of hunger, and I had sat on a bench pondering. My thoughts drifted through many topics, as is its nature. It meandered as I did, and I found my thoughts drifting back, or what I imagined anyway, to being inside of my mother's womb. I once fixated on the beginning, the way I now fixate on the end. That little fetus floating in embryonic fluid was ignorant of all that was to come. And what am I doing now? Floating again. Inside the tank is how I think of it. A few months prior, probably more than that, I had been at a party passing a joint back and forth with a man named Davo. That's a long A. Davo. I guess it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. This man, anyway, was the owner, or partial owner, of a float clinic. If you don't know, this is a place where you achieve sensory deprivation while floating in water dense with Epsom salt. The buoyancy is such that you float without trying. You could try, but you won't sink. I believe they have a guarantee against such a thing. Regardless, this gentleman keyed into some muscle soreness I'd been having. He read me as tense in general, with what magic, I don't know. And he gave me an invitation to come and have a session for free. I was blunt at the time that I had zero interest, but I found myself curious later, and I wound up taking him up on that offer anyway, out of boredom. It was a bit awkward when I walked into this business sometime later, as he seemed to have forgotten who I was. Maybe I took too long coming in, or maybe he just wasn't serious about the offer. Seller's regret. Either way, I had to explain who I was to him again. In the process, we bonded all over, smoking another joint in the back parking lot. And after some idle chit-chat, we got to laughing, and someone on his staff prepared a flotation room for me. Now these types of people are better than the rest of us. They have calm spirits and they give sermons on things that they encourage you to do, which is the bohemian version of a lecture. And in the process, you learn the rules, but they do it in their quiet voices. And I waited patiently for the conclusion, which seemed to take forever. First and foremost, the pristine waters must not be contaminated. I took a shower to remove the filth of the outside world. Not only was this required, but I'm a good sport at heart, and there are no limits on enjoying a shower. Castile soap, peppermint. They were stocked with all of the predictable accessories. A big upgrade to my home rig. Purification is important, and there are many nuances to this concept, as I now understand. 
Finally, I was allowed to go inside the chamber. I ignored everything they had said about the lights and the audio, turning them both off. My head went back and my legs stretched out. The magnesium found every cut and scratch on my body, but I dipped into it. In the darkness, I felt every ache and pain in my body. I felt hot and constrained, but only at first. It seemed like forever that my mind would not shut up. Between the babbling of my thoughts and the aches in my body, I felt like there was no way I was going to make it through the experience. But I slowly tuned all of that garbage programming out and started to breathe easy. Easy and deep. I went with whatever was coming. The point, if there is one, is that it occurred to me, floating in that primordial soup, that this was probably a lot like being inside of my mother's womb. If time flies by as we get older, then those were the longest nine months of my life. An eternity without the burden of blathering idiots, myself included. Something about that morning, sitting in the park, reminded me of this experience. Perhaps the humidity. I let it go. And inside the tank, I had to let it go as well. I tried to be that aimless fetus. Things eventually became very still, and the water no longer moved me over its surface. It was as if I were immersed in a thick gel. It took me back to the old Palmolive commercial, except it was my whole body in the soap dish, not just my manicured fingers. I had drifted into my body, and I began to see light. Soft, bluish white, like the glow of a faraway city. The sort that catches on the clouds as seen from the pitch of a faraway wilderness. Phantom sensation followed, something touching my toes, perhaps. I could open my eyes, but there was nothing different to see. It was only the slight burn of Epsom salt dripping its way into my eye socket, and so I relaxed and left them closed. Relax, I told myself. Why is that so difficult for you? I asked myself. There was no answer forthcoming, but the answer was self-evident to me sitting on the bench of St. George's. Funny that it is less clear to me now as I float in the density of pathos, but I was always hardwired for dread. I knew my whole life what was coming, and like so many other people, I just didn't want it. I pushed it away. I doubt that a person can truly accept the reality of their own death. In the tank, I made up my mind to do so for what it's worth make peace for at least an hour, and so I made a truce of some kind, perhaps one with my fingers figuratively crossed behind my back. The pitch of that darkness was in stark contrast to the light of the day, sitting in the park, but I felt the same, overwhelmed, a loser lost in his own labyrinth. But if I was overwhelmed then, I am laid totally bare in this womb of ending this dream of truth where my mind drains out. The opposite of ignorance, the opposite of bliss. If I am lost, there is no correcting course. Mackie, I had said, coming out of the sunlight into the dim bar. This was ordinary inside dim, not the blackness of the womb. 
and my eyes would quickly adjust. The owner was standing behind the bar, presumably on his titanium prosthetic legs, talking with his head bartender slash head waitress, a big-chested, thick-armed brunette girl with a bobbed haircut. Bronze Buddhas adorned with wooden meditation bracelets and fake flowers smiled from the repose among the liquor bottles lining the back wall. A layer of dust lay over them, making them relics of the old, forgotten world. The return of the asshole, Jeanette said. I'm a professional, I stated, taking my sunglasses off and laying them on the bar. I saw my hustle sitting in a booth in the back of the main room. A professional, Mackie said, laughing with Jeanette. Classic rock music was playing quietly. Mackie always set the jukebox to play songs for free in the afternoons. Kundu's quiet time, he had called it. Alex, the young Latino man mopping the floors, gave me a nod and a smile as I waded back through the tables. Christ, Cox, Bindi Trong said, not getting up. I sat down across from him, putting my hands on the wooden table. You stop caring? Vindy was a Southeast Asian immigrant who made his living in non-taxable services. A guy can't be professional with all this bullshit, I said, stretching my arms out to adjust my shirt and leaning back. So what does a lowlife need a detective for, Vindy? What's with your voice? You getting sick, Trong asked. I'm fine. Are you out of breath? I'm not out of breath, I said, losing my patience. I might have been a little out of breath. Fuck it. Okay, Vindy said. We sat for a few seconds just looking around the sitting area. Alex, with a shy smile, put a glass of ice water and a fresh straw down on the table in front of me. Thanks, I said, leaning into the corner of the booth and playfully sliding a cast iron ashtray back and forth on the table. One of your runners missing? Nobody missing, Trong said, impatient. Nobody care about anybody gone missing. So what, I asked, tossing the straw aside and drinking straight from the glass. He was wrong. Someone is always looking for the missing. I would learn this sad reality without impunity. How do you get so much ass, Cox? Fucking broke and still got your pick. I didn't realize the two things had anything to do with each other. You must know. You have so much experience with both, he said, waving to Jeanette. I know you want me to buy lunch, asshole. How the fuck you putting on weight anyway? You're hosting this event. That's just good business, Vindy. Now you're an expert in business, too. Tell the woman what you want before she throws us both into the street. Jeanette shook her head and laughed. Only waiting for the authorization, she said. Jeanette knows what I want, I said, smiling. I was a shameless flirt. But I'll take a cheeseburger. Fries. Trong sighed. More tea. He tapped the table unconsciously with an index finger. You want coffee, Cox? She asked. You know... The black stuff? Sticking with water, I said. The purity of my vessel demands it. Aren't you a pretty little cunt, Cox? She said, walking away and shaking her head. She shook her head so much in my presence, I wonder if it might fly off her shoulders and spin around on the floor like a top, 
Or maybe I'm just thinking that now after what happened. Cheer up, Cox. You won't starve today, Trong said, suddenly more upbeat. Taking shit from an illegal, I said, sighing. Illegal has full belly. I held my glass in the manner of making a toast. May you cross many borders, and soon, I said. Mine is flat, though, continued Trong, tapping his stomach gently with his hand. You're like those crying kids, those starving kids on TV with the gas in their bellies. I've seen that shit firsthand, you know. Not everybody getting free lunch. Alex placed a cup of tea in front of Trong, taking an empty cup away, and Jeanette slid a mug of black coffee in front of me. On the house, compliments of yesterday's pot, she said. I drank it halfway to the bottom of the mug and put the rest down. It was hot and miserable. But now that I'm being honest, just what I needed. I tasted worse. Okay, enough kisses and holding hands, I said. What do you have for me, Vindy? Trong seemed annoyed again. Why can't they just leave me the pot? Why waste so many cups, he asked looking around the bar. He exhaled and shrugged, taking a sip from his new cup before continuing. I have a product that need disposed of. So dispose of it, I said, drinking water. Not so easy. There is some attention right now. Not just me, but my associates as well. The attention is specifically in consideration of this product. Has to be somebody outside. As a detective, I typically find things. Losing them is not my skill set, I said, leaning over the table, curious. You usually find yourself hungry. Losing opportunities is a daily occurrence in your world. I won't starve today. I am a detective too now, Vindy told me. I detect a desperate asshole. So you fucking find things. You finding much lately? Did not think so. Maybe do your job in reverse. You might have some success for change. Alex came over to the table with my cheeseburger. He took a fry with a smile before walking away. This was what I was waiting for. I set about eating with care. The conversation was on complete pause. First, I rolled up my sleeves and tossed my tie over my left shoulder. Second, I tucked a napkin into the neck of my shirt. I gripped the burger with both hands and considered it centrally before setting about taking the first bite. The colors of the green lettuce, red tomato, orangish sauce, and juicy pink meat appeared vibrant even in the bleak bar, and the smell was almost overpowering. I felt the warm myoglobin trickle majestically over my fingers as I held the masterpiece in my clutch. Mackie knew what he was doing in the kitchen. He probably could have had a proper restaurant if he had the ambition. The fries were outstanding as well. What do I need to know, I said between bites, as if I still cared about the job, mopping the grease from my mouth. Vindy took a fry from my plate, gave it some consideration, and dipped it into some ketchup. Job couldn't be more simple. You drive to the dump site, dump product. Most important part is stay away from my organization until I give you the call. Away is no joke. Far away. Drive it in what? I asked, taking another bite. 
You must have me confused with someone else. This may be a little different. The product include a vehicle. You would do some walking. I know you will love that. Not too far away, of course. Call a car once you make town. Just not one of yours. None of my cars out that way, no worries. How am I going to spend my profits if I'm waiting indefinitely to attain it? I asked, wiping more grease from my mouth and tackling the fries. I'm going to pay you right now. I laughed. Sounds bogus. Are you sure you don't want my business advice, Strong? I'm in a shitty position. Has to be now. We won't be able to discuss this ever again. Shitty enough to trust me with 100%? Your situation is pretty fucked too, Cox. If you screw me, who else is throwing money your way? Right, I said, finishing the coffee and running back my hair with a pocket comb. Right, Trong said with mocking definitiveness. I'm going to hit the head, I announced, standing up. When I came back from the men's room, there was a $50 bill on the table and a single car key on an otherwise empty ring. Trong had gone. I suppose he knew me well enough to have come by foot. He probably could care less about my situation, to be honest. I picked up the key and went to the front of the bar. Good afternoon, Mr. Cox, Mackey said with a half curtsy as he handed me my sunglasses. He was laughing full of incredulity. It was sort of cute for a guy on stilts. Jeanette must have been in the back. Stay blessed, Mackie, I told him, full of sarcasm. Give my love to the lady bull. One miracle is enough for me, he said. Outside on the sidewalk, standing in the light of day, I had to shade my eyes even while wearing my dark shades. I looked around for the vehicle Trong would have left me, something to match the key. Hey, Cox. It was Alex standing on the corner, smoking a cigarette. Alejandro, I said comically in my worst Spanish accent, and walked over to him. He smelled subtly of leather, wood, and of course tobacco. It all went oddly well with the aroma of the cleaning supplies that had accumulated on him as well. He blushed, smiling. You look a lot better now. Now, I said, not exactly understanding his point. I make do. Don't I know. Want to make do tonight? He asked with enthusiasm. Love to, but I guess I have to work. Wouldn't have to be all night. I laughed again. We both know that isn't true. Alex leaned close to me, looked nervously back at the bar, grabbed at my crotch and smelled my neck. Don't torture me, please. Give me a cigarette, I said. You don't smoke, Alex said, surprised, perhaps a little concerned, yet he reached into his pocket and drew one out of the pack. I put it in my mouth, the cigarette, and started to take the lighter from him, but changed my mind, tucking the cigarette into my breast pocket instead. I'm planning to start, I told him. Across the street, parked conspicuously, was a formerly beautiful Alfa Romeo spider with the roof up. I can't bullshit. I didn't know anything about expensive cars. I guessed it was an expensive vehicle, at least at some point. Presumably, it had been a beautiful and coveted machine once. It had been painted over, however, with layers of graffiti. The tagging was painstaking, obsessive really, and recent. 
almost like a decoupage. Trung was no doubt trying to conceal the vehicle's value in its origin as well. A dark plastic screen covered the license plate. The effort was amateur work, with slim chances of succeeding. I felt certain that it wouldn't. I could blow you real quick. They wouldn't even know it was gone, Alex said. I looked at the man. Mid-twenties. He might have been a good match for Summer if she were a good match for anyone. We'll get a group together soon, huh? I said. I know you'd like that. That would be nice, but you know I can handle you all by myself, and I want to. Life is unreliable when it comes to what we want, Alejandro, I said, handing him back his cigarette, slightly crushed. I combed my hair back before crossing the street. Alex put the cigarette between his lips and, with cupped hands, lit it. Fine, he said, mostly to himself, inhaling. I tried the key in the Alfa Romeo's trunk. The interior appeared modified, but I really wouldn't know. Inside, there was a paper grocery bag filled with cash. I didn't count it. I rubbed my face. There were also a number of small, square moving boxes crammed inside the trunk. 12 by 12, or 18 by 18, I guessed. Cardboard, every edge sealed carefully with silver tape. A slight chemical smell that I couldn't place. The product, I assumed. There was maybe three inches of spare room in the tiny trunk. I weighed one of the boxes in my hands and found it much heavier than they appeared. Good enough for me. I got inside and checked the glove box, which was locked. The same key opened it. The only thing inside was a torn piece of paper with a handwritten address several hours away. I crumpled the paper up and threw it on the passenger seat. I'd heard of the place, but had never been out that way. Pretty sketchy. Something was bugging me, so I decided to tear the paper into small pieces. I started to swallow them, but I couldn't get them down. I would just toss the pieces here and there out of the vehicle as I drove. I must have begun to sense what was coming because I'd never felt the need to do something like that before. The situation was just starting to feel wrong. Trong had never screwed me before. Not exactly. But the conspicuous car seemed to scream, bust me. The sound of the engine when I started it up for some odd reason reminded me of the huge pipe organ from this big church I sometimes visited in my childhood. The sound was so beautiful, so above me, and the car accelerated majestically without effort. I decided against going home at all. Trong had mentioned attention, and I intended to avoid it. Get this job done and move on. No one would be waiting for me on my return, and that grocery bag looked like it had a lot of money in it. There was an access ramp close to downtown, but I took back roads to the highway, suddenly feeling exposed. I felt for sure that I was being set up. The money in the trunk made me uncomfortable. Full pay up front was not something I had any experience with. I wanted to stash the money somewhere, but I knew I could sweat out the paranoia for a few hours. When you fuck around the way I have, you get decent at a couple things. Turned out I was fair at following people undetected. I tried to employ that same skill to leave town unnoticed, making lots of unnecessary turns. I even turned around on one road and drove in the opposite direction, trying to spot potential tails despite my intense desire to be away quickly. 
My plan evolved into the idea of driving the whole way in a roundabout fashion instead of taking the highway straight to the dump site in the expected way. I was hoping to subvert predictability. After all, why hire someone to drive straight there? It may take a little longer, but before I know it, I'll be home celebrating, I told myself. Thank you.